nurses uh, packing the specimen for the first suspected COVID-19 case that we had in Ulster County, which then, because there was no courier service at the time, myself and one other executive staff member drove up to Albany, New York, to the state public health lab to drop off to find out two days later on March 8th that it was indeed our first positive case. Um, right away, the county executive asked the innovation team to set up a hotline, anticipating that we'd get a lot of calls from concerned citizens, um, and to do that really quickly in three days by March 11th. So, uh, yet again, here we are at the design, the like initiation project buildup phase, like we're, you know, building the shuttle on the back of the plane, time to go. That's Tim Wiedemann and Jeff Kalpakis of Ulster County, New York, scrambling to create a COVID assistance program for county residents out of thin air. And this is the QAlert Insider Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Ed Zitko. Thank you for joining us. Many of you in your towns and cities and counties were probably in the same boat as Ulster County. In this episode, a rebroadcast, so to speak, of our Customer Spotlight webinar series features Tim Wiedemann, Director of the Office of Innovation, and Jeff Kalpakis, Deputy Director of the Office of Innovation, telling us what it was like to have to suddenly create a tracking system for citizen concerns related to the COVID pandemic. Tim and Jeff are going to reference slides as they're talking in the podcast today, and you can find those slides at QAlertInsider.com slash podcast files. You also can follow the link in the description of this episode. Here are Tim and Jeff. Um, Jeff and I have been working at this for six months, ever since the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, I think daily in March and April felt like we were tearing apart what we had just worked on in order to build something new in response to changes that were constantly unfolding. Um, and uh, the photo to the right is uh, a street in our neighborhood that helped me get through this crisis, that just seeing that everyone out there is trying to do their part to, uh, to share the, uh, the load here, that um, we're all going through a lot. And pardon me and maybe Jeff too, if we get a little emotional at parts of this, because it's been a rocky ride for the last six months, as I'm sure you all can relate to. So a little bit about us. My name is Tim Wiedemann. I'm the Director of Innovation uh, for Ulster County, New York. I've uh, been with the county for about five years. Before that, spent most of my career doing consulting work for local governments and not-for-profit organizations in the areas of strategic planning and organizational design. Jeff, you want to do a quick intro? Absolutely. Hey, everyone. I'm Jeff Kalpakis. Um, I've spent about a decade in various software projects, and recently I was in enterprise business intelligence software. I've been with the county for eight months. Um, some relevant experience I had was running a software support team, but as we'll soon see, nothing quite prepared me for this. So hand it back over to Tim. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, so that's eight months, as in two months before COVID hit is Jeff's start to the county. So right. welcome, Jeff. <laughs> so a little bit context-wise uh, about Ulster County, we're a county about the size of the state of Rhode Island geographically. 
um, that's 90 miles north of Manhattan along the Hudson River between the Hudson River and the Catskill Mountains. We have 180,000 full-time residents, plus a big influx of folks on the weekends from the city, especially this summer as people are looking to escape. Um, our county executive is a relatively new, new style of government here. In the last 10 years, we switched to a single executive, elected county executive. And recently, just in the last year, had a change of administration. After having one executive for 10 years, we have a new executive in the last year. Um, and with that comes a lot of changes in our workforce, a lot of transition and turnover during that time, which obviously is less than ideal as we come into the beginning of 2020 and, um, and start to see the emergence of something that um, we now come to know as the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, a little on that, uh, the photo at the right actually is one of our public health nurses uh, packing the specimen for the first suspected COVID-19 case that we had in Ulster County, which then, because there was no courier service at the time, myself and one other executive staff member drove up to Albany, New York to the state public health lab to drop off to find out two days later on March 8th that it was indeed our first positive case. Um, right away, the county executive asked the innovation team to set up a hotline, anticipating that we'd get a lot of calls from concerned citizens, um, and to do that really quickly in three days by March 11th. Um, our Department of Health, it turns out, had a pandemic response plan that called for a 20-station sta uh, phone bank. And so we started with that, but realized very quickly that that was a system and a process that had been designed for a pandemic in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and that now the technology that we needed in order to do was ex what was expected from our constituents was very much different than what was planned for back then. We had no ability to really manage calls with that phone bank, track the calls that were coming in or what they were about, or report on them. And so in a lot of ways, I think we lost the first battle as the, the data really shows. So um, this is a timeline that every time I look at it, my blood pressure rises and my, my heartbeat increases. Looking at that curve, the orange line represents our seven-day moving average of new positive COVID-19 cases. And you can see the really rapid increase that occurred after that first case on March 10th or March 8th. Um, we saw really exponential growth through uh, the middle of April. Um, and, you know, I think at that point, we were doing our best just to pick up the phone and to be, if nothing else, just a consolation and a resource in terms of mental health needs for people who were really mostly worried well, but terrified about what was unfolding uh, in their communities. And so, um, you know, I think that this was a really tough time and really 40 days of time from March 8th to the middle of April, where we were just holding on for dear life, trying to make sure that we didn't get swamped by the thing. Um, and then on March 22nd, and really it was inevitable at that point, the, the, the governor issued the New York State on pause order, which was our state's business shutdown, um, shutting down all non-essential businesses. Um, at that point, calls were overwhelming our health department and our hotline really was functioning as a, a, a precursor to try to screen out folks that had had an exposure to COVID-19 or who had had a positive test or, um, or were symptomatic with underlying health conditions, all the really critical cases um, out of the thousands of calls we would get, some percentage of them really deserved and needed our public health nurses' attention. Um, quickly, as we had um, you know, set up this phone system to be a physical conference room, basically a war room, we realized that that setup really didn't make sense as we started to learn more about how COVID-19 was being transmitted. And we had some exposure scares with staff that were working on our hotline, and it made it clear that it was no longer safe to work in physical proximity. And so we commenced with a, a quick one-week sprint to break everything and fix it again to transition to 100% remote operations. 
Um, that stabilized things in terms of our ability to continue to do the work. We were losing staff because they were so concerned about the physical proximity and the risk that that posed. But really, we created a nightmare in terms of the management overhead, trying to get it all together, keep it all together on a day-to-day -day basis was proving to be really difficult. And so for a while, we had no choice but to just hang in there because that transition happened as we were still in the exponential growth phase. And through mid-April, we were so busy with just picking up the phone every day from, I think we were starting at 7 a.m. and going till probably 8 or 9 p.m. every day. Um, and, um, you know, and there was an overwhelming need in the community, even with the shutdown, which certainly helped in terms of quieting things down and folks staying home for the most part. But as they stayed home, we learned that they sometimes had difficulty getting food. And Jeff will talk a little bit more about that as one of the service requests that we, we quickly came to understand we needed to have. Um, we had set up a system that I think um, Jeff's baldness is just because of the fact that he uh, had to deal with this system that involved integrations between Google Forms uh, embedded with our knowledge base articles and uh, software, web-based uh, database software called Airtable, which worked well. It was a good setup, but it was not sustainable in terms of the workload that it imposed on us and the fact that we would have had to train somebody you know, from the ground up if they were going to try to take over and help. Um, so we realized that that was not stable, and we also realized that the constituent need was shifting. People had initially been calling worried that they might have COVID, and while we still get those calls, there's a whole bunch of other needs that are emerging in the community as the long-term impacts of the COVID-19 crisis start to sink in. So uh, on April 11th, the county exec asked us to revisit the concept of the COVID-19 hotline and to evolve it into a longer-term COVID-19 recovery uh, contact center. And um, we, in particular, we're looking at a better set of software tools that would allow us to track and report better on the calls that were coming in, knowing that the, the hotline had become kind of the front line and the, um, the surveillance tool, trying to figure out what the needs were in the community. Um, and so we wanted to better capture that information, be able to share it with decision makers throughout the county. Um, we also had exhausted a team of agents that were all volunteers. Uh, some of them were county employees, but they had chosen to continue to work through the pandemic um, and helped us on the hotline, but they were being called back to their, their day jobs as we began to head towards reopening. And as I mentioned, we realized that there were a whole new set of services that the recovery uh, portion of this pandemic response would entail. And so we, um, we shifted gears to focus on the, the economic and social recovery from the pandemic and really we're, we're tasked with designing a prototype, a kind of proof of concept for a countywide 311 system. Um, and overall, all of this reflected our county executive's priority. One of his big strategic priorities coming into office was to make county government more responsive and responsible to its constituents. And we found that the hotline had really put us in direct connection with many constituents in ways that they appreciated. And the idea was to expand it into uh, other more broad services that are offered by the county, not just our public health services. So we started from scratch. We revisited all of our technical requirements. In particular, um, we had long realized as we had the hotline going that um, somebody would call back repeatedly and we had no real persistent record of that person that we could tie all, each of their calls to. Were they calling with a new complaint or request or were they calling for an update on something that they had already called about? It was really impossible for us to know. We also had been used to ha handling all calls and while that's still a major focus for us and Jeff will talk about that, we knew that at some point we're gonna need a multi-channel solution. Um, we also had been using a Microsoft Word document as our knowledge base, and it was really clear that that was not up to the task. Um, things, as you all know, are changing daily when it comes to the COVID-19 crisis, 
and trying to keep that all up to date in a Microsoft Word document was unwieldy at best. We have an internal information technology IS team that um, hadn't been as involved as we'd like them to be, so we wanted to make sure as we revisited these requirements, we involved them and had them help us select a tool so that then selfishly they would be around to help us support it uh, as we got it going. And we really needed a forced structure for our data, um, really wanted to be able to better track and report on tickets and trends, and had found that the way that we had kind of pulled things together rapidly at the beginning just really wasn't sufficing. So we redefined uh, a menu of services that we had uh, been prepared to provide through the hotline. Initially, again, it was just a COVID-19 response hotline, and we expanded that to include a whole bunch of COVID-related or extended services that for the time being may still be driven by COVID-19, but in the long term, we know that people are gonna need help getting reemployed at some point. They're gonna need help uh, with food on an ongoing basis as we approach winter. They might need help with utilities, uh, already seeing need for housing assistance. So we, we really look to tap into all of the programs and services that multiple county departments uh, already provide and to act as kind of a, a single source contact center that can help direct people to these programs and services in the county. And to do all of it, we uh, let some of our, our agents that had worked the COVID hotline go back to their day jobs, but we recruited a new team of county employees who are on temporary loan for six months from their home department to our uh, recovery uh, service center, the name of our hotline. Um, and so these recovery service fellows um, have agreed to take this on. They are being um, you know, kind of supported in that by their home departments. They work about 40% of their time in their normal day-to-day -day job and 60% with us. And we've developed, are in the process of developing a training curriculum that'll turn it from just a job that they have to do to a professional development experience for them. So um, to do all that, we really knew we needed a new tool. And uh, we had been using a couple of products. In the very beginning, we had a product that our IT office used called Churwell. It's a ticketing system mainly for IT. And while we had existing licenses and there was some expertise in our IS department, it really had a complicated interface that was designed for IT service requests and not for a broader set of service requests that we really needed. As I mentioned, we had Airtable, which was our hack together solution in about a week to make sure that we could go remote. It allowed for remote access for our agents so that they could get in and enter tickets, but uh, it was um, maybe too flexible. It made it hard for us to structure our data in a way that worked well for reporting. And it was all on us, Jeff in particular, had to manage that whole thing and um, integrate it with uh, Google Forms through, I think you were using which integration tool? I forget now which one we ended up using. Uh, Zapier. 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 Yeah. So that was fun, um, but that was not a sustainable solution. So then we started evaluating other products. We looked at Zendesk, um, which is expensive, but really flexible and a full featured tool. So we were attracted to that, but ultimately we realized that it would still require us to be kind of the designers and builders of our, our constituent relationship management tool. And while that seemed like, you know, if in normal days we had the time to do that, that would be worth considering. But given the fact that we were tasked with making all these changes really rapidly, we knew that that wasn't a viable option as well. So that led us to QAlert. And, and here I'm gonna turn it over to Jeff to talk a little bit about how we implemented QAlert, how we selected it, and how it fit into the other products that we're using. So Jeff, you wanna take it from there? So um, yet again, here we are at the design, the like initiation project buildup phase, like we're you know building the shuttle on the back of the plane, time to go. So we looked at looked at QAlert, and as Tim had outlined, it had a lot of the, the core competencies and features that we were looking for. Um, 
one thing that was kind of a surprise to the Q Alert team, but now kind of old hat for us, was our aggressive timeline, where um, something that would typically take maybe you know four to six weeks for your soft launch, we were going to be live in, in two weeks. We just we had to, um, and the way we were going to do it was by replica replicating what we were already doing, rather than looking at the additional bells and whistles that we could get within Cooler, focusing on that. Let's just cut over, preserve what we're doing uh, already, knowing that we need to build it out a bit more, but that's going to be the, the quickest route to, uh, to success for us. And we, we are primarily a call center at this point, um, and, and we still are, and I'll talk about that in, in a little while, but um, we just have a lot of people picking up the phones, a lot of calls all day, so that kind of thinned the decision or problem space for us is that we only had to worry about this particular call center channel. And um, the big thing, as, as Tim again had outlined, is, is the knowledge base for us. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit, where we, we had this sprawling Word document that had many editors that was changing all the time. Um, and to actually have that um, show up above the relevant service request type, like it contextually pop up would be such a big win for our, our agents that, that we knew that that was gonna be um, just a, a big uh, carrot for them to once again take on this, this huge switch. So boom, we choose uh, QAlert and we are off to the races where we get introduced to the post commitment team and uh, Mike LeBeau was our project manager. Um, he showed up to the project meeting and we're like, sorry, Mike, we gotta go live in two weeks. And I was just like, you know, we knew how ridiculous some of our demands were, but they were uh, absolutely up to the challenge um, and, and understood the, the situation that we were faced with. So um, Ed and, and Ryan and those on, his, on their team were helped us with the, like, you know, this is how to use this product and, don't make this mistake here. I've seen people, uh, you know, um, you know, just show the best, typical best practices type of thing. Like we've done it, we've seen people do it this way, don't do it that way, and, and just helped us establish some guardrails in our design choices early on. And then um, because I, uh, you know, was a hasty implementation lead, I needed a lot of uh, support assistance as I ran through where it just like, I am doing X and I expect Y to happen. Why am I seeing Z? And then Paul and Alan would say, because you're making this mistake. And I'd say, oh, sorry, okay, here we go, thank you. And, and back on the way we go. And so on the county side, it was uh, Tim and I um, working with the, the actual configuration. Um, the third member of our team is not uh, presenting here today, Hillary Harvey had the unenviable job of corralling all the information Cuomo has, was having daily press conferences. Our county exec was presenting twice a week. Um, she would watch all of these. She would corral all New York State Department of Health documentation and parse it into digestible chunks somehow. I don't know how she did it or continues to do it, but she took on the knowledge base. And because this was a high-profile uh, project, we got the, our head honcho of, of IS involved to... Um, help me with any kind of uh, server configuration or email when, you know, the uh, whitelisting of particular IP addresses gets involved. That's when my eyes glaze over a bit. So we had the proper team in place and away we went. And so um, one thing that was pretty difficult yet again is that we were changing people, processes, and technology all at the same time. We were having folks roll off 
of the, the hotline, now the Recovery Service Center, or RSC as we call it, and as we were welcoming new folks on. So that forced us to maintain our legacy system for a little bit, which actually turned out to be an advantage as we got QAlert up and running because we were double entering. And, and so it forced our hand into a neat QA exercise where we would have our existing agents entering tickets on Google Form and Airtable, and then one or two agents double entering into QAlert, and we would have sessions all day being like, this doesn't fit, this is wrong. And so that actually was a, a very useful mechanism for us to, to get this up and running. Um, I looked at it at first like, oh my God, how are we gonna do this all at the same time? But it actually worked out uh, pretty well. And then we're simultaneously onboarding folks into this uh, <laughs> this assignment that they chose where it's like, hey, good luck, we're changing everything again, and people call all the time, and we don't know how to use the tool yet, welcome. Um, so the one of the big um, wins and time savers we had was the you know, that need for a persistent submitter record. This is a CRM now where we want a communication log. We want to know what is going on with this particular request and how many communications have we had? Um, so we have this kind of like continuity of care model. And to make quick work of, of the submitter records, we were able to get our Board of Elections data and import that. So we had pre-populated data, which made our agent's job much easier when they were answering the call to, to kind of um, just with some clarifying questions, make sure they're talking to the right person um, rather than starting from scratch and creating that record. Um, Hillary disappeared for a while and uh, formatted knowledge base articles uh, with the help of, of Mike on the QAlert side, which was really useful um, to, to make sure that we were up and running there and, and we had to uh, solve some design challenges there, which I'll, I'll go into in a little bit. And so, boom, June 15th, we are, uh, our kickoff meeting was June 8th, June 15th, we were double entering, June 22nd, we were live. And so now I'll talk a little bit about our, um, our configuration. So those of you who are familiar with QAlert, um, which has a lot to do with the physical world as it is a you know, 311 software, we were doing a lot of informational work with it where um, we would use this kind of taxonomy with these verbs as like find or request as expectation setting for us and our agents of like what type of call is, is this? And you'll see with that like find food assistance, find travel guidance, find COVID guidance. That's us linking people to the best guidance that we have at the time. And we always talk about our agents acting as research assistants because this is really difficult stuff, changes all the time. And we take just balls of confusion that we're called with uh, constituents will call up and we just kind of do need finding and ask clarifying question and 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 then connect them to the, the right answer. On the left panel there or the left side you'll see the views which kind of gives us uh, gives you a hint at our our day-to-day -day structure. The views are essentially the saved queries of um, what I want to be looking at. This is actually my view that I have um, where you can see I have open and in progress unassigned. I want to see anything that isn't assigned to someone that is not closed um, just to, as a quality check. And then you see the different queues because we have adoption from other departments. Um, we have a supervisor queue. We have the Department of Health Communicable Disease Nurses. We will route things directly to them from within QAlert. Um, we also have contact tracer, members of our contact tracing team who also work on the RSC. 
and so straddle both systems, the New York State uh, contact tracing and, and ours, and we'll be able to take things and enter where necessary, as well as our review session that we have every day to make sure that uh, we identify things that need a next step. And um, you know where there isn't a black and white problem, the dreaded gray problem, where it's gonna take a disproportionate amount of, of <laughs> brain power to figure out what the heck the next step is. We talk about those as a group with like uh, six or seven people present. Um, so, oh, and the knowledge base. So then we get onto the knowledge base, and this was a huge, huge win for us early on. And whenever you display value to the agents or value to anyone else involved, that's the easiest way of, of getting buy-in to being like, oh, no wonder we're making this, this switch here. So we very quickly spun up probably 35, 40 articles. I think we're um, over 50 at this particular point. We received a nice hack from QAlert because every single knowledge base article needs to be associated with a service request type so we made a service request type of knowledge base which then served as the index so we could see the entire uh, universe of all our knowledge base articles and i just want to point out at this time we are still private only with our knowledge base um, so this is not public facing this is call uh, center only but this was a big, big win for us. And as you see on the left there, I have that, uh, an example of a knowledge base article. And we often will just put links to spreadsheets where we just need some, some more in-depth knowledge. Like for instance, I think we have 12 or so testing options within the county right now. And uh, Hillary runs a team that every week will call up every single one of them. And it's like a, a service pr provider check-in where we see, um, are there any shifts in costs? Are there any shifts in screening criteria? What's the wait time for lab, uh, the lab results? And so we know when we're helping our uh, inbound calls, uh, we're navigating based on their criteria, what's the best fit for them for testing? And so this is kind of an example of, of how that's used um, as far as the knowledge base is concerned. And once again, it's we're research assistants. We are gonna dig into three or four different sources and figure out um, what supersedes what, given this information at this time, uh, we're able to like provide you with, with this guidance that you can look over and, and, and make the best informed decision. Um, because we have a stepped reopening plan here, here in our phase reopening plan here in New York, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, which was pretty difficult to, to navigate, not only for the public, but for us involved. Um, so here's an actual example of a service category. Uh, Tim had showed the, the service menu earlier, and this took on a couple phases as we went on. Um, in the early phases where the uh, the county was absolutely locked down and Matilda's Law took hold in New York, where um, senior citizens were told to, you know, do not leave your house. And so all of a sudden, food insecurity rose. The amount of folks who had entered that category um, of, of not being able to get a basic need met was just took a, an enormous surge. So we had a pretty creative uh, program that was developed by folks in the exec's office and our uh, depart uh, environmental department, where we were matching um, restaurant restaurants to sources of funding um, that would then then to logistics like delivery networks within particular municipalities, which are at one point I believe feeding four thousand folks uh, in the county. And so you'll see that on the bottom, it says food assistance for other community members in need. We had, uh, the program is called Project Resilience. And we were the contact center for that in, as soon as we got QAlert up. Uh, and, and so 
like we would take applications, we would take change orders or, uh, or complaints if something happened, and then we would route that to our project resilience team. We also have more lightweight needs where we're just referring to a food pantry or their exploring options. And as we kind of um, sunsetted that program, we've built up the amount of uh, food pantry referrals we'll do if people are calling looking for like how you know, how, how do I feed myself in, in this particular scenario? And then another category uh, which would run through us is that um, if we are issuing, you know, mandatory or precautionary quarantine orders officially through our Department of Health, it is our duty to feed those folks. And so we would take that through another service request type and route it to um, the folks on our side who are managing that contract, that vendor contract, and um, working on, on delivering and handling that. So again, we are the hub where we're kind of like a single front door point of entry so that we can take the need, figure out where it needs to go and, and get it there. And that's again and again how we were positioned. And so we had to quickly and continually build out QAlert to kind of split the hairs of where things are going in, in, in particular spots. So. Um, Another uh, deep dive I'll do here is on um, where QAlert got us out of a jam. Um, well, not a jam, but just kind of established order where there wasn't enough. We had a phase reopening. And with that comes folks who are not adhering to um, mask guidance. Maybe social distancing is not being adhered to or gathering numbers uh, are not being adhered to. Like in the beginning, it was 10 people in a gathering, then 25, then 50, and certain businesses are having complaints about them. And this is going through a state form. And this state form was kicking out to a distribution list uh, that could investigate or follow up on those claims. Now, we all know what happens if uh, many people are CC'd on an email, it creates a responsibility problem, and state management is, is prohibitively difficult. Is this in progress? Is this, uh, can we close this? Is this done? Is it resolved? How many complaints have come in against this particular spot? So um, Tim pushed to, to have us inserted into this because we are, you know, we had a tool that could actually impose some order. So what we did is we, entered an email address, and this was our first exploration into a non-call channel, where we, uh, are, we had a dedicated alias hooked up to QAlert, or hooked up to the distribution list first, then hooked up to QAlert. So in the incoming message feature in QAlert, we are seeing the output of this web form. There's my dog bug. I know it's going to bark once or twice. We'll see how that goes. Um, so then you can see here on the right, we have these New York on pause complaints, New York on pause travel complaints, because we also have a travel advisory here where there, uh, at times there were 39 restricted states that if you entered New York state from one of these states, you had to quarantine for 14 days. And folks would be um, uh, complaining about a neighbor who was coming in from a restricted state. So we were able to then take this data, structure it so we could report on the quantity of, that we're receiving and, and kind of priority. And we developed this internal um, workflow to help in terms of uh, enforcement, where we are the educational arm of the COVID response. So we would give courtesy calls, and which would often be the minimum effective dose needed to let folks know that like, hey, do you have signage up? Do you need any information? Do you wanna hear what other establishments are doing? We can help um, with that particular aspect. So this was a, a nice use of both the, the recovery service center um, to fill an emerging need 
and to help out everyone else who was involved in this um, this this new new category that we were uh, need to rise up to meet the uh, demand of. So, um, what's next? We're going to go. Um, we are actively testing inbound and outbound meal right, uh, email right now. We, as I said, with pause email, we have some inbound channels coming in, but we're going to look at actually receiving emails and, and advertising that more. Um, so that's something we're, we're actively exploring with the help of our IS team. And then, as I mentioned, everything is, is private. It's not publicly visible at this point. So we're going to explore web form and what um, service request types would make sense for us to pub start publishing knowledge base articles. And then there's just a lot of features that we haven't been using. Like, for example, notices. Um, we use Microsoft Teams, uh, not like rather than Slack. And so we do a lot of our guidance and, and updates, like to circulate information to our agents on Teams. But it's also really great to have that contextually appropriate dose of information show up when you go to enter a service request type about uh, testing referral to know that this particular um, uh, venue has expanded their hours. And that's something that we're going to do a little bit more. We've tried it a little bit, but we can do it a lot more in, in QAlert. And then, um, as Tim mentioned before, a lot of what we're doing is just the public health response and like Department of Health related, but we know this, this cliff is coming of the end of moratorium on evictions and, and um, the unemployment insurance benefit ending. And, and we just want to be there to, once again, be that single front door and be able to handle uh, anything that comes at us as best we can. And so, uh, and next, I, I swear I'm going to lock myself for, away for a week and start building beautiful dashboards and learning the reporting. I've built some basic reports, but I know there's so much there. Um, we've done, Tim and I have done a lot of detail reports. We want to do a lot of aggregate summary reports. And we have a lot of... Uh, information outside of, of QLERT that we need. We have organized in Excel right now, and that's, that's you know, data is always an ongoing task, so that's what we're working on. Um, challenges we encountered here, um, unclear requirements. That's a luxury we didn't have. We, anytime someone asks us, what are, what are you trying to build? We would say, like, we don't know until, once we fully understand the problem, it's likely we don't need to solve it anymore. So that was something that's been pretty difficult throughout this whole time. And, um, and we've changed so much that there's a certain amount of tool fatigue where it's difficult, even me, someone who loves to play around with software, it's kind of like that like Sisyphusian, like, oh, here we go again. Let's do everything different once again. And um, unsupported use cases where now we would have Airtable, now we have QAlert, and we're gonna just try to jam everything we can into this particular piece of software regardless of whether or not the product team has thought of this use case, we're going to see if we can get it in there. And uh, for two weeks, once I got QAlert up and running, I was doing a tour um, internally, a campaign to get other departments to start using it. And that took a lot of effort because I had to, essentially it was a discovery call for me to figure out what they were working on, how they were working on it, and how I can kind of uh, massage QAlert to be able to help them. And we're still living through COVID-19 ourselves um, in terms of just human beings being involved in the public health scare and jobs and like uh, all of that and uh, and having to show up for uh, our, our staff and, and the public has been wild throughout all of that. And the biggest challenge absolutely is just the complexity and volume. So 
28,000 calls. That's, they're not all answered by agents. Some are repeat calls. Some we were forwarding out to different testing sites for scheduling. Um, but we're up over 10,000 service requests at this point in about five and a half months. So it's, it's been a lot to get up and run it. Um, and so the lessons learned in change efforts, you're always concerned about going too, too far too fast. Um, it's the old Winston Churchill quote, never let a good crisis go to waste. Man, do we move quickly. And things that would still be in the project buildup phase six months in, we've been in three different iterations and we're just cruising still. And, um, you know, we were kind of able to take what could be a Byzantine process of just calcified bureaucracy and be like, you have to call this person, this person, this person, this person to get what you want. It was our job on the RSC to take that com complexity and make it our problem and we figure it out so that our, those, Anyone in Ulster County can call us and know that we'll probably give them meaningful next steps or help connect them to what they need. And, um, you know, the way we got buy-in on this is by, you earn trust by doing difficult things well. And whenever, whenever we would show up being like, this is a really difficult problem we've inserted ourselves in, and we can help the environmental health department or the, the communicable disease or enforcement, like that was like, all right, Good. Like, here's a seat at the table, and let's start using like using this number a lot more. And also, finally, uh, we're very tired. <laughs> we're, we're we're very very tired. Um, we it's like you know it's it's a as they often say it's a uh, it's a marathon but not a sprint. But we sprint a marathon every day. And uh, let the record show that this never happened on Parks and Rec. Ron Swanson seemed to be pretty chill and laid back the entire time. Um, and absolutely, it's Tim and I here talking today, but like we, our team, this is just a snapshot of one of our three meetings over the course of the day. We got a team that just absolutely selfishly committed to not knowing what would happen and being on calls, not knowing what the person needed or ultimately how to help them at first, but knowing that we would give it our best faith effort to be able to provide that. So our team has put up with me and Tim and our constant changes and everything we've done and just absolutely stood up in front of our public and been like, we can help, we can help again and again and again. They continually show up. So hats off to them. And, uh, and I think- We hope you enjoyed that presentation about Ulster County's effort to launch a municipal CRM system to help it track citizen concerns related to the COVID pandemic. If you would like to learn more about the QAlert Citizen Request Management System, visit QAlertInsider.com. That's Q-A-L-E-R-T, QAlertInsider.com. QAlert Insider, the podcast, is a production of QSEN Technologies, Inc., a leading government software provider. I'm your host for this episode, Ed Zitko, and I'm also the executive producer. Thank you for joining us.